Atamaria, welcome to First Up. This is Ratu, Tuesday, the 20th of September. Kwanathan Rarere, aho. Welcome to this special First Up program as Queen Elizabeth II has been laid to rest in the King George VI Memorial Chapel at Windsor Castle. With 500 world leaders, royals, and dignitaries in attendance, this was the biggest public event in the UK since World War II. We're going to take you to London to our reporters and correspondents around the world throughout the hour. The grief of this day, felt not only by the late Queen's family, but all round the nation, the Commonwealth and the world, arises from her abundant life and loving service, now gone from us. Kia ora koutou, welcome to First Up. Queen Elizabeth II has been laid to rest at St George's Chapel at Windsor Castle. Millions gathered around central London and the roads leading to the castle to see Her Majesty one last time. The Archbishop of Canterbury, Dr Justin Welby, spoke of Queen Elizabeth's devotion to duty throughout her long life. Her state funeral was held at Westminster Abbey and was followed by another service at St George's Chapel before she was finally laid to rest. Dr Welby said the Queen's promise on her 21st birthday to dedicate her whole life to the service of her nation and the Commonwealth was well and truly kept. The grief of this day felt not only by the late Queen's family, but all round the nation, the Commonwealth and the world, arises from her abundant life and loving service, now gone from us. She was joyful, present to so many, touching a multitude of lives. And we pray today especially for all her family, grieving as every family at a funeral, including so many families round the world who have themselves lost someone recently. But in this family's case, doing so in the brightest spotlight. May God heal their sorrow May the gap left in their lives be marked with memories of joy and life. Her late Majesty's broadcast during COVID lockdown ended with, we will meet again. Words of hope from a song of Vera Lynn. Christian hope means certain expectation of something not yet seen. Christ rose from the dead and offers life to all, abundant life now and life with God in eternity. As the Christmas carol says, where meek souls will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. We will all face the merciful judgment of God. We can all share the Queen's hope, which in life and death inspired her servant leadership. Service in life, hope in death. All who follow the Queen's example and inspiration of trust and faith in God can with her say, we will meet again.
That was the Archbishop of Canterbury, Dr Justin Welby. Well, as you heard, millions gathered uh, around central London uh, as many, many uh, watched on. And one of those was Ali J. Kia ora, Ali. How are you? Kia ora, Nathan. I'm good, thank you. And I, I mean, it's interesting to hear that bit from Justin Welby as well, because it has been quite a weird atmosphere here throughout the day, quite sombre, quite reflective. Obviously, it's a holiday, but an unexpected bank holiday. Um, and I don't know anyone who hasn't really been watching the funeral as a whole and, and seen such an impressive um, spectacle. It's hard not to be amazed by it or feel like it's this big coming together. But yeah. as he said, you're quite aware of the fact that it's been this long week of ceremonial activities, church services, um, the king visiting places, the royals visiting, obviously the queue. Uh, and this is the final day. And I think that's quite true aware of the fact that they are a, a family and they've had a, a big week I suppose. Yeah. Ellie, I was I was when I was thinking of talking to you and, and and it was wonderful to get to know you when you were living here with us and working with us and could talk to you in the office every day. And now you've gone gone, you know, back back home. And I was trying to make a note there and I wrote, is it the grandest thing you've ever seen? But then I thought, well grand's probably the the wrong word for it. But tell me about just the enormity of a huge event like this. I tell you what, it is quite, I mean, it is quite a bizarre thing watching it and seeing it happen today and the pageantry of everything, the choreography of it, um, the history, how much it means to people. They were talking a lot yesterday to some of these people who are involved in um, the the parade that goes sort of down behind um, the coffin and how much it, it means to people. And they were saying some people um, from the Navy, this will be their last time in uniform, their last act of service, that kind of thing. And there are these fantastic stories um, of people who have met the Queen or have had her as part of their, such a big part of their lives. And I think there's something about it that is quite bizarre, sort of watching, we're watching these traditions, we're seeing all these uh, outfits, all these uniforms and ceremonies that, that haven't been seen for 70 years, sure, but have been around for, for hundreds of years. And I found it almost kind of uncanny to see this and to have this very old tradition and so many people um, filming it on smartphones kind of thing and you're seeing these uh, sort of beef eaters and people dressed in um, uniforms that might not have changed sort of since Tudor times and these these things on the Queen's coffin they had um, the the orb that shows Christianity around the world the scepter the crown as well these symbols that have been part of I suppose the history of the country for such a long time in in sort of direct contrast to these very modern these very modern things that we have at the moment. And I suppose a bit weird to just a couple of months ago, we had the Jubilee and then mm. also the Commonwealth Games and got very used to seeing these images of down the Mall and in central London and these joyful, uplifting occasions, these sort of moments of um, levity. And it's quite a contrast now. The weather has turned. It's not hot anymore. It's quite cold. And we have this very sad, somber historical occasion. So it really is quite quite a contrast yeah you mentioned that with the um just the somberness of it all as well and i know you were watching on keenly were there any moments of, of levity there were. I mean, there were quite a few lovely, I suppose, poignant moments too. When they, well, the, the flowers on top of the coffin as well, there was a wreath on top of the coffin um, that was, that had a note from um, King Charles on it too. And he chose 
these flowers. So they had um, rosemary in there for remembrance. They had myrtle, which is a symbol of um, happy marriage, and English oak as well, a symbolic meaning of love too. And the myrtle came from a plant that was planted from the same sprig that um, the Queen had in her wedding bouquet in 1947 when she married the Duke of Edinburgh. And all of the rest of that wreath had been taken at the King's request from the gardens of Buckingham Palace and Clarence House and Highgrove. So that was quite uh, quite special. There was also, I mean, when um, the coffin was taken by procession down to Windsor and when it came down the long walk at, at Windsor, uh, some of the Queen's animals were there too. So her, um, her pony um, was along the side of the walk. They also showed shots of the corgis too um, right at the top Uh, and a few I suppose a few more lively moments as well there's a very funny clip from um, Australian I think it's a nine news do you know know what Ellie Ellie, we've got that clip we should just say this so so, so just imagine you're a TV host and you're thrown in a studio and they go just talk just talk and you're like who is it just talk and then you see there and there is footage of the British Prime Minister uh, Liz Truss walking in uh, but you don't know who she is here's the audio The Australians got there eventually, <laughs> Ali, but uh, I think she needs some, uh, some, 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 to make her brand a little more famous around the world, perhaps. But she looked lovely. The hat yes, nice. maybe so. <laughs> so tell, she tell did, me, and she spoke. Oh, um, she spoke at the um, service as well, and I just thought that was one bit. I mean, there's lots online too, but I just thought that was one bit that's kind of going viral at the moment in the UK. And just because it is, I mean, they do have a hard job. There were lots of people arriving, but it is. Mm. I mean, it is very funny. It is that one. Just very quickly, to, what will what do you think will stick with you about today? Oh, I think it is. I think it is that moment of history and the moment of people turning out. And one thing that I've really liked is hearing those little stories of people who had moments of the Queen and also, I suppose, seeing that people want to be involved. So when I was coming back this morning, in the early hours this morning from work, I could see people gathering to get on the train and sort of dressed as if, I suppose, going to a festival, so rucksacks and warm clothes and that kind of thing, and you know that they were going up to town or going to Windsor, even though they'd been told, don't do this, um, you don't camp out, don't prep for this. People really wanted to be part of this moment, and it has felt like a moment. It felt like, well, it's felt like weeks, really, I suppose, but I think the significance of today, of it being almost the last thing um, is probably what will stick with me. Yeah, well Ellie, thank you so much uh, for your report there uh, live from London. That's Ellie J. It's quarter past five here. You're listening to First Up on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarere. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, 2101's a, a text uh, service you can write to, but of course I want to know uh, just thought, you know, were you up watching the funeral? Did you have a bit of a look at it? I know my auntie had a bit of a sleep so that she could watch it last night. She was very prepared for that. What do you make of it all? But another thing is too, I'm just wondering too, any uh, British expats in our audience um, I, I'm just wondering for, for you, this, I wonder does it feel an extra an extra connection? Did it um, 
did you get incredibly homesick watching this? I just would just want to know how you feel. We've got some British friends, and it's been interesting hearing their reactions uh, for this. So, um, 2101, did it help at least make you feel that little extra connection um, with home? Well, for the new monarch, King Charles, Canada is going to be a proving ground uh, more so than a welcoming one. So his mother charmed Canadians for more than seven decades, making it a challenge for the new king to live up to that. CNN's Paula Newton reports. Nicknamed the Queen's Cowboys, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, on their musical ride. Queen Elizabeth adored these horses. She herself rode Burmese, her favourite for years. I think the fondness stems from her childhood, um, experiencing the musical ride at such a young age, and seeing all of the horses and the riders in red, and um, just having that connection to Canada. By the Queen's own admission, that connection was profound. She considered Canada her second home, visited the country more than any other, was its Queen for nearly half of Canada's existence. Many people felt that they had some kind of personal connection to her. And it is that personal connection that so endeared the Queen to Canadians. Catherine Clark, the daughter of former Prime Minister Joe Clark, remembers a late-night royal event she attended as a young girl. The Queen asked her, what are you still doing here? I said, I'm still here because I can't leave until you leave. So I'm waiting for you to leave. And she said, well, then let's leave together, shall we? And off we trotted together and chatted all the way to the elevator. (coughs) Wanted to write up the entire visit. It is a standout story among many. This was their gift, all signed personally. So that's a pretty special photo. Brian and Doug Bailey were young men when the royal family visited their farm in the province of Manitoba. We had a wonderful visit with the Queen. It was, it was one of those things that when, when we got word it was happening, we couldn't quite believe it was going to happen. But it did. And, and when it happened, it was just like visiting with our neighbours. Prince Charles on this side, Princess Anne here. Just a young prince there and a glimpse of the affection and charm he must now live up to. King Charles, Canada, will be a challenging testing ground. Even in this realm, a significant number of Canadians want an end to the monarchy. Many Indigenous leaders say the affection for the Queen obscured a brutal colonial relationship with Canada's Indigenous peoples. That anger flashed here in Winnipeg in 2021 with the toppling of royal statues. And I think when he accepts all the privileges, he also uh, accepts the responsibility the, the moral responsibility of putting things right. He could be a, uh, an ally to Indigenous people that he should be. It's what our treaty agreements say we are to one another, but I'm not sure whether the status quo that relies on that oppression would be so willing to see that um, progress be made so rapidly. The Queen's second home will surely test King Charles and his position as head of the Commonwealth. That position is not guaranteed by his title. If he cannot preserve the monarchy here, it may not stand a chance anywhere. It is 19 minutes past five. I'm Nathan Radity and you're listening to First Up on RNZ National. Coming up, we continue to remember Queen Elizabeth II with reports from London and around the world. 
Many New Zealanders fought off sleep last night in uh, order to watch the Queen's funeral on television. Among them was one of the country's most dedicated royal enthusiasts, 82-year-old Beverly Long from Whangarei. Beverly was just a little girl when Queen Elizabeth was crowned back in 1953. Oh, it's, it's been emotional, and but it's so well done. I just can't get over how many people are there and the way it's been, you know, put in for practice and things that have gone on. It's not a thing out of place. Can't believe it. Just about every country has been represented as far as... There's a few that didn't go, but there's a lot from all over the world. A lot of people there that I would never have expected to be there. It's just amazing. Beverly says that she felt for the new king as he farewelled his mother while the world's cameras were on him and while taking on a huge new responsibility. I mean, he's just an ordinary person like anyone else and the things that he's had to go through in the last 10 days and he hasn't had time really to sit down and grieve himself. Mm. He's just had to carry on. And he's just an ordinary person. That's it. I mean, the whole family are just ordinary people like us. But they're always on show and, you know, they do a marvellous job. Beverly says that Queen Elizabeth has been a constant source of interest throughout her life. I first started um, collecting royal books when I was 11. <laughs> and um, over the years, we've just I've just kept collecting bits and pieces. And then once, once I got married, I started collecting... China, a lot of China, and now I've got three and a half thousand pieces of royalty, all in all in glass cabinets on display. I, I go into Trade Me and eBay every day just to look to see what's on and what's happening. So I will miss it. I think a lot of people are feeling it, like what they are over there. But we're so far away. But I, I still feel it. <laughs> That was Beverly Long. It is 25 past five in Kenya. The passing of the Queen has reignited the conversation about Britain's colonial past. Princess Elizabeth was staying in the country's central province in 1952 when she learned of her father's death. In October the same year, the Mau Mau Rebellion led to a state of emergency. The Kenyan Human Rights Commission says 90,000 Kenyans were executed, tortured or maimed during the crackdown. Deutsche Welle's Felix Maringa reports from Treetops Hotel where the future queen was staying. In the reception of the rebuilt hotel, a book of condolence for guests to write their comments. Amos Ndegwa, a guide who works there, says his father cooked for Elizabeth when she stayed here in 1952. Queen was very talkative to the cooks, waiters, and they could always call all the staff around who are working in the hotel, and then uh, get them together and give them a tip. And they were very happy. When the staff are given money, then they go and help their families. So they were very happy and they liked the queen very much. At the time, Kenya was still part of the British Empire. Soon, the hotel became the target of Mau Mau independent fighters. They banned it, like every British establishment they could find. They have done a mass action all over Kenya. Here in the central province, I think they decided to ban the hotel. And that's why they banned the lodge and nothing was left. The hotel was burnt up to ashes. 
It is here at the Treetops Hotel in Mount Kenya that Queen Elizabeth learned of her father's death and that immediately ushered her into her new role as queen. But just a few months down the line in October 1952, when the state of emergency was introduced, a few kilometers from here, some of the worst atrocities committed on the Mau Mau fighters were done by the British soldiers under the Queen's watch. Modoni Matenge is one of the few surviving Mau Mau independence fighters. She still has nightmares about the brutality of the British soldiers. I wake up in the middle of the night, screaming, when I remember the harassment that used to take place in the forest. That fight was terribly brutal. The soldiers would storm into the homes, kill the young men and the children too. Earlier this year, Mothoni Matenge asked Queen Elizabeth to compensate her for the torture she said British soldiers inflicted upon her. A video of her calling for justice has been viewed more than 9 million times. She says King Charles should now take responsibility. I have not stopped seeking compensation. In fact, just the other day, I sent word to them saying, the son should send me what belongs to me, and he should send to no one else but Miriam Muthone Mathenge, who went to fight for Kenya's independence in the forest. While some will take the opportunity to write in books of condolence, many Kenyans feel there is unfinished business with their former rulers. 28 past 5, you're listening to First Up here on RNZ National. would love to get your thoughts, particularly if you are a British expat uh, living in New Zealand. I'm just wondering how you feel last night. Did it make you feel homesick? Did it make you feel more connected to home? Uh, did it make you feel extra proud of home? So, yeah, 2101 if you'd like to comment on that. I caught up with our London correspondent, Henry, Henry Riley, just before we came to air, and I asked him what the funeral was like for him. I mean, it was quite incredible. I've been here in central London all day today, and it's been a really solemn atmosphere. I mean, what's been quite bizarre is, firstly, you've had the travel restrictions in London where, you know, half of London has been almost, you know, completely inaccessible, various parts completely cut off because of various travel restrictions. You've had parts of London, particularly around Westminster, that have been completely empty. I mean, almost similar to COVID times, and yet... On the Mall, by Buckingham Palace, you've seen hundreds of thousands of people lining the street in order to pay their respects to Her Majesty. Of course, it wasn't just there. It was the journey up to Windsor, which we saw after the funeral when, it, when the coffin went from Wellington Arch right up uh, uh, to Windsor. And people were lining the streets the whole way up at various parts that they could. The British public showing their respects to Queen Elizabeth. And it's been such a moving day for various people. Everyone has their memories of Queen Elizabeth II. Many people can't remember a time where she wasn't on the throne. And it's been extremely moving for people and a very poignant day for, for everyone here, particularly in London, but across the UK. And also in the build-up to this, Henry, I mean, you know, you, you work in radio up there. Tell me about what the build-up has been like leading to this and then what's next week going to be like? It all came very suddenly in the sense that the Queen was in very good health. We, of course, had her Platinum Jubilee celebrations earlier this year, particularly in June, where, of course, there was the famous Paddington Bear sketch where she was uh, involved in acting that particular sketch. And it all came very suddenly. But bearing in mind she was 96 years old, um, the media had to react in a certain way and react it did. And the coverage has been 
almost wall to wall since that very moment that we had on late Thursday afternoon slash early evening uh, in the UK. I mean, it really has been wall to wall. There's been no other story in town. I mean, we've got various other stories that we've spoken about on first up with regards to energy prices and whatnot. That has all been uh, knocked, you know, to, to one side for the moment. It's all been about the Queen. Tomorrow's coverage will again all be about the funeral. Um, and it, it's been a story that has just dominated the news agenda. 70 years on the throne, so in many ways, completely understandable. And it, it's been looking back at her life, looking back at her legacy, looking back at how much Britain has changed in those 70 years. We're not talking about a sort of short period in which Britain has changed slightly. We're talking about a queen that was involved from steam to stream. She literally oversaw everything during her age, and it's quite extraordinary uh, the levels to which Britain has changed uh, during that time. Tell me about that. I'm I'm really interested to know this. Is there a a difference that you notice with the different generations of you know of of your fellow citizens? Like, um, or have you been surprised by the younger reaction? Like, like what is there a difference? Like, can you see a demarcation in the different citizens and and how they're reacting to this? I've been surprised by the younger reaction in the sense that it's been far more sympathetic than I would have expected. I think, of course, whatever your position on a monarchy, even if you're a sort of staunch Republican, many people have respect for the Queen. That's understandable. You know, someone who's given up their whole life for service, I think even the most ardent Republican would accept that that's, you know, in many ways impressive. But you look at the queue and the famous queue that, you know, people queuing for 15 hours on some days to go and see the coffin, and many of them younger people. And so there was this sort of perception that perhaps, I mean, you look at the latest Republican stats in the UK, it's about 15% of people estimated to be sort of anti-monarchy. And yet there were a lot of young people in the queues. There were a lot of elderly people in the queue, which when you consider we had some pretty difficult temperatures this weekend and it wasn't perhaps you know safe in some ways. It was, it was a very cold uh, weekend and people were queuing right through the night. But uh, yeah, I, I suppose, Nathan, I've been surprised at how the age demographic has been sympathetic to the monarchy and to the Queen right throughout the various ages. It wasn't just sort of elderly people who remember the Queen when she, you know, when she came, when she ascended to the throne 70 years ago, or even people who've just grown up perhaps in their 50s or 60s who've only known the Queen to be uh, uh, on the throne. It's been across the board that people have had those sympathetic views to the Queen. And I suppose in some ways that is, that is quite surprising. And the outpouring of love and tributes has been right across various sectors of society. That was Henry Riley uh, reporting there from London. Well, with the passing of the popular monarch, questions are now being raised over the future of the Commonwealth. Uh, That group of more than 50 countries, most, but not all of them, former British colonies. Out of uh, all those, uh, Singapore has seen the most dramatic developments since independence in 1965. Singapore is also seen as one of the Commonwealth's success stories, and as such, this prosperous city-state tends to remember the positives of British rule, as the BBC's Nick Marsh reports. After completing their tour of Thailand, the Queen, the Duke of Edinburgh and Princess Anne arrived at Singapore in Britannia. When Queen Elizabeth first visited Singapore in 1972, Singapore was an ambitious young nation, keen to show its former colonial masters that it could go it alone against the odds. It's something that I think uh, we wanted to show off. Jerome Lim was seven years old. He remembers the day that the Queen visited his newly built housing estate. So she was brought up 
to the viewing deck, which was on the roof of the building. We've come back to the same place, and he's brought along a battered, leather-bound photo album full of memories. He told me about the moment the Queen was invited into his parents' brand new home. We shook hands at the doorway. So that's me with my back to the camera, but you can actually see me peeking out in this picture. Even for my parents, they do still talk about the visit and it's the highlight of their lives. Jerome's block was an early example of the country's pioneering social housing, for which Singapore is now globally renowned. 50 years on, and there's no question that this tiny city-state with no natural resources is one of the Commonwealth's success stories. Singapore National Day, 1963. Fourth and last under the old status. The British left Singapore in 1963. Nearly 150 years earlier, they'd colonised the island's native Malay population. But most modern-day Singaporeans have their roots in China, their ancestors arriving here after the British did, many in search of better opportunities. We have no baggage. We're not going to re-litigate the past. We acknowledge the past. We give credit for the institutions that we inherited. Foreign Minister Vivian Balakrishnan is a descendant of Chinese and Indian immigrant communities. To him, Singaporean history isn't a story of dominion. We admire British understatement. We believe even our current attributes of being pragmatic, being sensible, reasonable, it also reflects that shared history. And it's pragmatism that allows Singapore to wear its colonial past so lightly. Membership of the Commonwealth, for example, is viewed simply as an economic opportunity rather than a historical burden. You can't say that there's any real controversy here in Singapore over old buildings or statues or place names. The arrival of the British helped to transform this island into a global trading hub. But by the same token, ever since the British left in the 1960s, well, Singapore's hardly looked back. Heading towards six o'clock on Nathan Rarity with first up here on RNZ National. Still to come, our producer Matthew Tunison takes us through the overnight highlights from Westminster and Windsor. And we talk to our reporter Katie Todd, who's with us in London. Queen Elizabeth II has been farewelled by hundreds of thousands of mourners in London and billions of people around the world. The funeral of the United Kingdom's longest reigning monarch was an incredible spectacle of centuries of tradition and inch-perfect pageantry whilst also being a sombre occasion for the nation and, of course, the royal family themselves. It's been one of the biggest ever gatherings of world leaders and dignitaries, so many, in fact, that um, they all had to share a bus and uh, go to Westminster Abbey hours before the Queen's coffin arrived. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern was there, as well as Governor-General Dame Cindy Kettle and other distinguished New Zealanders, as well as members of the New Zealand Defence Force who marched alongside other Commonwealth Service members as they guided the Queen's coffin through the streets of London. Our producer Matthew Tunison watched the service and filed this report. A 
alongside priceless crown jewels, the Queen's coffin was adorned with rosemary, English oak and myrtle cut from the grounds of Buckingham Palace. In the centre, a handwritten note from her son, King Charles III, which read, In loving and devoted memory, Charles R. With the new king and other members of the royal family marching slowly behind, 142 Navy sailors led the royal gun carriage through central London to Westminster Abbey, the place Queen Elizabeth was coronated 70 years ago when she was just 25 years old. She also married Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh there in 1947. King Charles was joined behind the coffin by his siblings and his sons, the heir to the throne William, Prince of Wales, and the Duke of Sussex, Prince Harry. The Prince and Princess of Wales, William and Kate, held the hands of nine-year-old Prince George in a navy blue suit and seven-year-old Princess Charlotte, who was wearing a black coat dress matching that of her mother. Once Queen Elizabeth's coffin had been carried inside the church, the beginning of the service was heralded by the choir of Westminster Abbey. Among the 2,000 guests were people from the many charities for whom the Queen was patron. The dignitaries included US President Joe Biden, French President Emmanuel Macron and New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, who was accompanied by a New Zealand delegation which included Governor-General Dame Cindy Kiro and Victoria Cross recipient Willie Apiata. The service was led by the Dean of Westminster, David Hoyle. In grief and also in, in profound thanksgiving, we come to this house of God, to a place of prayer, to a church where remembrance and hope are sacred duties. Here, where Queen Elizabeth was married and crowned, we gather from across the nation, from the Commonwealth, and from the nations of the world to mourn our loss, to remember her long life of selfless service and ensure confidence to commit her to the mercy of God, our Maker and Redeemer. With gratitude, we remember her unswerving commitment to a high calling over so many years as Queen and Head of the Commonwealth. With admiration, we recall her lifelong sense of duty and dedication to her people. Reverend Canon Helen Cameron of the Free Churches Group spoke of the Queen's unwavering dedication to duty. In recognition of Queen Elizabeth's service to this United Kingdom, let us rejoice in her unstinting devotion to duty, her compassion for her subjects, and her counsel to her ministers. And we pray for the continued health and prosperity of this nation. Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, said that few leaders had received the outpouring of love that had been elicited by Queen Elizabeth. The pattern for many leaders 
is to be exalted in life and forgotten after death. The pattern for all who serve God, famous or obscure, respected or ignored, is that death is the door to glory. Her late majesty famously declared on a 21st birthday broadcast that her whole life would be dedicated to serving the nation and commonwealth. Rarely has such a promise been so well kept. The Archbishop said the Queen's example wasn't set through her position or her ambition. People of loving service are rare in any walk of life. Leaders of loving service are still rarer. But in all cases, those who serve will be loved and remembered when those who cling to power and privileges are long forgotten. The grief of this day, felt not only by the late Queen's family, but all round the nation, the Commonwealth and the world, arises from her abundant life and loving service, now gone from us. She was joyful, present to so many, touching a multitude of lives. And we pray today especially for all her family, grieving as every family at a funeral, including so many families around the world who have themselves lost someone recently. But in this family's case, doing so in the brightest spotlight. Her late majesty's broadcast during COVID lockdown ended with, we will meet again. Words of hope from a song of Vera Lynn. We will all face the merciful judgment of God. We can all share the Queen's hope, which in life and death inspired her servant leadership. Service in life, hope in death. All who follow the Queen's example and inspiration of trust and faith in God can with her say, we will meet again. Synchronized trumpets rang out as soldiers from the 1st Battalion Grenadier Guards prepared to carry the Queen's coffin out of the Abbey. The Queen has been laid to rest after a committal service at St George's Chapel at Windsor Castle. She was taken there in procession after the funeral at Westminster Abbey. The Dean of Windsor, David Connor, performed the committal before the King and the members of the Royal Family. We have come together to commit into the hands of God the soul of his servant Queen Elizabeth. Here in St George's Chapel, where she so often worshipped. We are bound to call to mind someone whose uncomplicated yet profound Christian faith bore so much fruit. Fruit in a life of unstinting service to the nation 
the Commonwealth and the wider world. It is uh, 11 to 6. Some of your feedback has come in. Thank you very much for this. Um, here's one, Vale, and thank you, Elizabeth Hale Charles III from David. Um, someone else has written in, this reminded me of my dad and him shouting from the sitting room, come and watch this, boy. There's no better army than the marching British army every time the Trooping of the Colour was on telly. It made me very proud and a touch reflective. God bless the Queen. And, of course, I was asking, too, if you're an expat uh, that, that's that's here now, how did it make you feel? Uh, well, Chris in Fakatu says, Morena, I'm an immigrant from the UK. The last couple of weeks have made me even more grateful to be here in Aotearoa. I find the romanticising of the monarchy humorous at times and distasteful at others. I don't think we should celebrate the existence of an unelected, extremely wealthy hereditary elite. There's so much poverty in the world. Uh, that's from Chris. And Heather has written, and thanks for playing the Marmo item. Good reminder that there's a lot of very regrettable British history during the Queen's reign, as well as conciliatory stuff. Thank you very much, Heather. Of course, any of you can send in your thoughts there on 2101. Uh, well, our reporter Katie Todd has been, uh, she's in London, and she's been talking to people outside Windsor Castle, where the Queen will be interred with her late husband, Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh. Well, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, emotional, yeah, Wonder, so well organised and just to be here. I think only the and Brits could do it. I, the sad thing is nobody can, the Queen, you can see the Queen, but it is the last time we will see the Queen. You know, that's the sad thing. Emotional, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Very, very, and what were you feeling just then when she went past? Well, I didn't get a chance. We were second in line. Somebody in front of me got in my, my head. But never mind. We're it's, still here. We're still the, here. It's been here. And well. just everything. Yeah, just wonderful. And pretty cool atmosphere. Oh, the atmosphere. It's just, it's just lovely that there are so many people to be together. And it's peaceful, really. Yeah. My name's James. Uh, we've come from Fargo. And I'm actually uh, an ex-Bruin Roll that served uh, for the Queen. Oh, so wow. the guys on the horses, I used to actually do do that. Wow, so you're getting it from a pretty unique perspective. You, you've yeah, it's the first time I've actually been stood on the ground doing it rather than actually been sat on a horse doing it, so yeah. But uh, yeah, I used to live in Windsor and in Knightsbridge serving the regiment. I was in for about 16 years. How did you find that today, you know, standing here watching, watching the Queen? Um, it's quite, it's sort of breathtaking because no, I don't think anyone knew that she would go. But it's great to bring my, my granddaughter along uh, and my partner to, so that she can witness the experience. I mean, she's only three, so she just thinks that the Queen's having a very long sleep at the moment, which is quite sad. But it's good to bring her here so she has, she's got that experience. So when she grows up, she has the pictures that, to know that she was, she was there. How about the funeral? Did, were you here watching it on the big screens? Uh, yes, we, we were literally just down there. Um, but a lot of my friends are actually uh, in the parade. So I've, I've been along to sort of see them and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's... Like I say, it's, yeah, it's a bit weird sort of standing on this side rather than actually being on one of the horses and doing it. But yeah, it's been a, it's a sad but a very memorable day, I think. I'm Paula from Glasgow. And um, I don't know, what, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about it. Um, I just, we came down from Scotland last night, so I just felt like I wanted to be here. And I'm kind of glad I was. But it's um, all a bit surreal, I think. And, and when did you, you came and camped out or what was that? Um, we drove down yesterday, stayed at the flat and came home this mor- early this morning, so we've been here all day. And why was it important for you to be here? Um, I don't know, I just felt like 
it's historic. I wanted to wanted to be here. It's also in Edinburgh, and I just also wanted to be here as well. It's important to to the Queen of Scots. And our reporter Katie Todd joins me now from London. Morena Katie, we've just heard you um, dis- discussing things with the crowd there. I mean, outside Windsor Castle. Tell me about like how many people were, were there that you could see. Kia uh, Well, look, actually hard to, to get a sense of how many people are here because it's quite a flat park, um, the, the long road as it's called in the lead up to Windsor. Um, you sort of just see the people in front and behind you and, and then the odd sort of camera shot on the big screens of exactly how big the sea of people is. It must be tens of thousands of people that were here today, which is quite incredible because it was such a hushed, quiet crowd, um, very reverent, um, a really special atmosphere. So tell me about, I mean, you're waiting there. As as the, the Queen, you know, get, gets towards where you are, what was the feeling like in the crowd? Well, it was sort of a matter of hearing um, the Queen coming before seeing it, the sound of the, the cannons and um, also the marching band um, making its way up the road. There was sort of a, a little flurry of activity as it came closer to the part of the crowd I was in. People were lifting each other onto shoulders, holding up their iPhones, all trying to get a glimpse um, of the action. But as the hearse passed, it was a really hushed, reverent atmosphere, um, really respectful um, people pausing, you know, taking a moment and, and thinking about the Queen. Mm. You know, two weeks ago, there you are sitting at a desk in Auckland, uh, and now life changes pretty quickly. You find yourself there in Windsor. I mean, the biggest thing that we do here in New Zealand is a farmer's well, Santa parade or something like that. I mean, this must be just the pageantry, the size of it all. How How has it been for you? Oh, without a doubt, an incredible spectacle. Um, really, really surreal to be here. But I think what you say about me being back in Auckland behind a desk two weeks ago, that's the beauty of it because so many people here would have similar sentiments. Um, they've come from all over the world, all over England and the UK, um, and, and none of them would have picked that they'd be here or that these things would be happening on such a grand scale. Um, I think there's been a lot of expression from locals that um, they, they knew that the Queen's funeral was going to be a a big and meticulously planned event, but no one could really pick how big the queues and crowds would be. Which leads me to my next question that I wanted to know. Moving that many people in and out uh, of the areas where they want to be, um, how, does, how, does, how does that happen? Uh, well, it's it's all been pretty calm and controlled here. Um, look, most of the people uh, in Windsor actually left after the hearse passed. That was the main spectacle they wanted to see. Um, but it, it wasn't a big rush out. It's been a trickle. You know, some people stayed and watched the committal service um, on the big screens here. Um, some people stayed a little bit longer than that, again, um, to, to watch. There was a a series of footage um, of Queen Elizabeth through the years with um, orchestral music played over the top um, and people have slowly made their way out, some sort of grabbing a bite to eat on the way and um, it's no one's in a rush here, so uh, no, no no, cramming onto trains or anything of the sort. <laughs> so, uh, so you say that most of them are gone. Would there there'd still be people milling about though, I would imagine? Just the last few now. It's sort of um, pack-down mode here. The, the 
pieces are being plucked away and um, some of the large towers are, are being taken down. Um, and it's it's quite remarkable. There's not a scrap of rubbish on the ground. Um, it, it, the scene kind of looks just how we found it this morning at 5am. Yeah. And now I'm wondering, I mean, there, there is the bit too where it almost seems like an emotional letdown uh, after that. Like, you know, you, you mentioned of the, uh, you know, I guess the anticipation of the arrival. And then how does it feel now? <laughs> Well, Katie, I think I think I might have, might have lost my, my connection Ooh, there. Yes. Oh, there we go. Um, no, yes, just, might have dropped out for a second. Can yeah, you hear I think, me? Yeah, I think we did. Hey, um, Katie, look, thank you um, very much for your time uh, this morning. Unfortunately, we don't have time for that last answer there. That's Katie Todd, who was with us now from London. Um, well, look, it's been a, 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 a huge occasion for many of us. So, so uh, historic there. Queen Elizabeth II's funeral service at Westminster Cathedral was concluded with music played by her bagpiper, Pipe Major Paul Burns. Now, for decades, the Queen was woken up by the sound of bagpipes played underneath her window, acting as a personal alarm clock. Uh, thank you very much for joining us here at First Up this morning as we say a goodbye to Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, thank you very much, too, to our reporters from around the world and uh, also you as well in the audience, uh, whether it be through listening or feedback that you've sent in, too. Morning Report is next with Susie and Guyon. From all of us here at First Up, I hope you have a wonderful day and we'll be back in your ears, our purple.